This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, lovely listeners. Welcome to the Twilight Show on Sunday evening with Kaylee Clark. This evening, I have got an interview for you with Mr. T's NQTs, who is a Twitter legend and an all-round lovely person. We're chatting about mentoring, challenges for ECTs, the goings-on on the Twitter sphere, and it'd be great to hear your points of view and thoughts on this. So tune in, talk it out. We'd love to hear from you. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, 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 everyone. Thank you very much for joining us on what is actually a really nasty night where I am. I don't know about how the weather is where you are, but it is wet, it's windy, it's dark, and I am very grateful for a nice warm room to do this podcast in this evening. Sorry, this radio show in this evening. Um, I hope you can say the same. I hope you're somewhere warm and cozy. So uh, this evening we have got what I hope is a really great show for you tonight. As I said in the introduction, we have got an interview with Mr. T's NQTs, who is... um, basically a bit of a Twitter legend, I think. Um, he, I came across him almost immediately when I joined Twitter, and he's just so fantastic at uh, responding and supporting uh, all teachers, not just early career teachers. He's been doing it for a long time. I'm really excited to have him on the show, and I think you'll really enjoy the interview. So that's going to be coming up a little bit later. But first of all, I would just like to apologise to anyone who was listening to the show last week. We had some, or I had, some issues with the internet, and unfortunately that led to really poor sound quality on the show. I'm aware that it kept dropping out, um, there was a scratchy noise on the, the audio, so apologies for that if you were listening, and you might be wondering why my show wasn't uploaded as a a downloadable podcast maybe you're not wondering but if you are that was the reason so do apologize for that and hopefully we will have a smooth running easy to listen to no technical hitches whatsoever this evening so the sunday before the last week of term how is everybody feeling I don't know about you, but the next four days cannot come through soon enough. To be honest, it's not actually that bad, because the next four days um, are just really rounding things off, aren't they? Finishing finishing up a few things, um, maybe watching a cheeky film here and there. Uh, So to be honest, this this next few days isn't going going to be too bad. Um, It's been absolutely crazy especially the last couple of weeks and I think I've probably been protected from it quite a bit because you know I don't have a full timetable fortunately I'm not in the process of writing any reports for any of my classes they were all done for me a few weeks ago Um, but I know some of my uh, colleagues at the moment are just absolutely flat out with uh, year 11 reports marking mocks that they've been doing over the last couple of weeks 
um, and obviously they've got still got quite a lot of work that they're going to be doing over Christmas. So you, there's probably people out there who are going to be able to relate to that. And I hope the next four days treat kindly. And uh, if you've got any particular plans going on, get in touch. Let's talk about how you're going to be spending the last four days of school. Our school have very kindly um, give, given us our extra bank holiday day this coming Friday because Queen Elizabeth is having her jubilee next year. So the extra bank holiday has um, been tagged on to our end of term this year. So if you're listening, Liz, thank you very much for that. Really appreciate it. And there is just something about knowing you don't have to go to school or work on a Friday that is just really uplifting, isn't there? So as much as I've enjoyed my second half term, I think um, I'm, I'm more than ready for the break at this point. And if I'm ready, I'm sure there are people who are even readier. So uh, yeah, so what's your final week looking like? I'll be honest, I'm going to be doing as much film watching as I can. Uh, fortunately, we've been doing a lot of literature work with uh, the four classes that I teach. So year 10 will be watching A Christmas Carol and the hardest decision we're going to have is which version to watch. Now I am a die-hard Alistair Sim fan. For me, Scrooge, the black and white version, not the version that they you know, added the colour into, but the black and white version of Scrooge will, for me, forever be the best version. And we've got a bit of a family ritual where every year, and it was always over the, the holidays, obviously, when we were, all, uh, we were all off work and we were all home, we would do the obligatory family gathering at my grandparents' house with the buffet, eat too much, have a few too many glasses of Prosecco. Obviously, when I was underage, I, I would not partake, but um, now I'm very happy that I can. And they, we would, you know, that would be our... Uh, annual ritual if you like where we'd all get together in comfy clothes full bellies and watch Scrooge um, and it was usually always on on the TV which was which was great but now we've of course got the Muppets Christmas Carol as a contender and even the Jim Carrey version I think is, is pretty good and actually it, it sticks pretty good pretty well to the book um, so those are our options so what about you which is the best version of a Christmas Carol or Scrooge for you? Let me know. Um, year 9 have been doing Shakespearean villains. So again, some nice choice to watch. A, a few uh, different versions of, I think we've, we've got Much Ado About Nothing, Richard III. Um, I've shown them some clips of The Hollow Crown, which is a fantastic production. And then we've also got The Merchant of Venice and Othello to choose from. So it'll be interesting to see which one they go for. And year eight are going to be doing Animal Farm. So it doesn't matter how many times I watch those those two, Christmas Carol and Animal Farm, I think they're just fantastic movies to watch. So don't mind doing that whatsoever. And it certainly made planning next week's lessons much easier. So again, let us know what you're doing and how you're going to be spending your last week of term. I was listening to our, my... Uh, fellow host Seb Ventura, Ventura's show earlier in the week. I was catching up on the on the podcast. And of course, there's a bit of debate going on at the moment as to whether schools should have closed on Friday and or whether we should keep going until the end of term. I'm in the camp of keeping going till the end of term. I suppose 
purely because I've actually still got some some things that I need to teach. Um, a lot of my classes have done their assessments over the last week, and I need to get the feedback on those back to them. They need to do some improvement work, and I know that's pretty tough on them for the last week term but I am hoping that we can get all that done and dusted Monday Tuesday and then like I say have a couple of days where they just relax maybe you know I'll get some um, some nibbles and some treats in in for them to watch the films and then they then they finish with a nice memory of the last day of last couple of days of term so that's my plan anyway I've also realized that one of the great things about having a show on Sunday evening is that I get to talk about all of the fantastic shows that I've listened to um, over the week. And there have been so many that it almost feels like I'm a bit, I'm cheating on the content for my show because I'm probably gonna spend quite a bit of time now waxing lyrical about how fantastic the hosts shows have been but there really has been so have been so many great shows this week and if you haven't had a chance to catch up on them yet then I really recommend that you head on to Spotify um, or wherever you access your podcast and listen to them because there's some just fantastic guests really interesting the first one I want to mention is Nathan Ginn um, who does the Wednesday night Twilight show um, this week 8th of December he had Charlotte Marshall um, as a guest and it was just and, and the show was about further education for teachers and whether teachers need to carry on studying to you know further improve themselves and I'm actually contemplating doing a master's next year um, for better or for worse whether that's a completely insane idea I'm not 100% sure I probably won't know until I've actually started the thing but my um but i think it's i think it's coming through one cumbria which is my uh the organization that's administrating my the, the ecf framework in my area um they're offering a program that they're doing like a pilot program to actually encourage early career teachers to go into extra you know further education beyond the degree uh beyond the bachelor's degree and i I'm really excited about that. I'm hoping to be involved in that program. So I was super keen to listen to that show. It was it was just came at the right time for me. And I just thought that Charlotte, what an interesting guest she was, and and just some some of the things that she was saying about how we should think about ourselves as teachers and the the, the words that we should use, and and, the, and in, more to the point, the words that we should stop using. One of the things that, that stood out for me was when she was saying that we need to stop saying just, you know, I'm just a teacher or I'm just an early career teacher, I'm just an NQT or I'm, 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 I'm just this. And, and it just really, yeah, there it is again. It, it resonated with me because I've, I've found myself doing that where you almost apologize before you've even said what you're going to say. And really we need to have that confidence in ourselves don't we 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 need to have that um there's nothing you know she was saying there's nothing wrong with being a classroom teacher and not pursuing further promotions further um career advancement beyond just making sure that you're the best possible teacher you can actually be and yeah she's absolutely right and um 
it, it just it just really hit a chord with me. So if anyone's thinking about doing further education or um, thinking about the whether we, whether it's even necessary, and, and certainly she made the point that it's not necessary, but you can gain a lot from it. And I've had Emma Williams, um, fellow host, message him and say, damn right, yes, absolutely, agree with that, Emma. And Nathan, hello, Nathan, nice to hear, nice to see you listening, seeing as I'm talking about your show. You must have, you obviously heard me. Um, yeah, and, and she is fab, absolutely. She's actually an ex-host of Teachers Talk Radio, so I, I wasn't aware of that. But yeah, I can, I can totally understand. I hope she thinks about coming back because I would certainly want to listen um, to that lady talk to me a lot more about uh, what she's what she's clearly so um, expert in. Um, Emma says, yeah, she was actually on her, her own show earlier, so Saturday, um, Emma's show, and she said, she started to say, I'm just a classroom teacher, and she changed it. She corrected herself to, I'm a classroom teacher. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's so easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? Where you you almost put yourself down before you've even started. And we do need to be conscious of that and, and build, you know, build ourselves up. The average classroom teacher knows so much, um, and it doesn't matter what, what letters come after your name. They are to be respected, and most importantly, they need to respect themselves as well, don't they? Um, yeah, and she was talking, Charlotte was also talking about um, CPD on uh, research in learning communities, and that actually linked to one of the things we were doing, one of my modules at PGCE. So, yeah, it was just really fascinating. So, yeah, big up to Charlotte, um, and thank you very much to Nathan for having her, having her on the show, because I really enjoyed that. And I have already mentioned Seb um, Ventura once already, but I'm going to mention him again because I was listening to his Twilight show on Thursday. And again, he had a great guest, um, Dr. Shyam Barr, who was talking about metacognition and self-regulation, which is just a really on-point topic at the moment. It's everywhere. Um, that's what our the most recent module on the ECF has been. So I've spent a lot of time looking into that, researching that, um, applying it into the classroom but there is definitely a bit of a gap there between the theory and the application so it is still quite new i suppose you know it, it's it's on the new early career framework and as as Cheyenne was saying it's not some it, it's not something that's really become mainstream yet i suppose to talk about it in in that respect especially the um, student self-regulation but what he was saying just made so much sense and he gave some really great advice on how to apply that in the classroom setting. So that was absolutely fantastic. Really enjoyed listening to that. Thank you very much, Seb, for having him on. And then next was Dorian Brown's show on Friday Breakfast. And he was chatting to Sam Kendall from the Eden Project. And that was just fantastic. Absolutely loved listening to that lady as well. So knowledgeable about what she does and clearly so passionate about um, educating future generations on the climate, the, the problems we're facing, sustainability, and how we can we should be integrating this into our school um, and teaching students about their environment and what they can do to help it and what, what we as teachers can do and what schools should really be doing to make this more of a topic of conversation. Um, and this is a, something that's very close to my heart because I have been thinking about, um, you know, ways that I can 
get involved with this in my school and that there really isn't very much at the moment. And of course, you see the, the day-to-day practices that teachers are, are used to seeing, um, you know, how much paper we go through with printing and photocopying, plastic bottle, bottles that the kids are constantly, um, they've got in their hands because that's what's for sale in, in the canteen. And it's just little things like that that you sort of notice and think, you know, really, we could be doing better here. So I just thought, this, listening to her talking about um, the work that they're doing there, and she was, meant, uh, Sam was talking about the change makers. Um, Eden Project Changemakers CPD and I've been having a look at that course since um, I just I discovered it and it looks absolutely fantastic so that's something I'm going to be having a chat with um, my mentor about when I go back to school next week um, and and just I think it's it's a really important topic of conversation that we need to be having about how we can improve uh, the, the education around climate change and sustainability and our impact on the environment I don't think it's something we should be ignoring. I think we've been ignoring it for a long time, or at least, you know, kind of knowing it's there, but if it doesn't really affect us, it's it's difficult to sort of motivate yourself to think that, it, you know, it's a serious issue that we need to be sorting. Um, so it's people like Sam who are driving that forward, and all the best to her. I hope um, she's really successful in, in getting as many people as possible involved in those projects. And that actually got me to thinking, it led on to, um, I think it links quite nicely to a newspaper article that I saw recently um, in my uh, local area, local school, um, and they recently launched Meat Free Mondays, or they tried to, and, and here's what happened, let me tell you about it. They had an enormous backlash when they launched this um, initiative. I think... What I gather happened was the school council have decided they wanted to do Meat Free Mondays. So it did come from the student body. And what I understand has happened is the school have then sent a letter home to the parents and said, we're going to be doing Meat Free Monday. And there was an enormous backlash on social media. And somebody I'm actually friends with on Facebook, I, I found out through them because they posted a bit of a rant on their Facebook page about it. And I just could not believe the vehemence of the negativity because we were because the school had suggested taking meat off the menu for one day you would think that the school had announced that they were, they were not going to feed the kids on mondays um with the with the attitude that people were having and i just thought wow you know are we still at that point where people are so anti anything different you know not even considering the impact that things like this could have you know for, for better but you know the great impact that it could have for um you know healthier diets if nothing else you know what's wrong with getting the kids to eat a few more vegetables one day of the week um and so the school very quickly backtracked and i think there was a little bit of PR management, where they then said, oh, it was never intended to be an ongoing thing. We were only ever going to do it for the for the one day. And you think, so you sent a letter home to the parents for something you were going to do for one day. You know, I'm, I'm sure the parents wouldn't have kicked off, for want of a better phrase, um, quite so angrily if they thought that it was only going to be a one-off. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit sceptical about, about that. But um, I think the, the main cause of things was we live in a rural community um, there's a lot of farming takes place and of course the attitude was uh, 
from a lot of the people who did respond negatively was we should be highlighting farming and local produce and um, basically promoting farmers and farming in the local area instead of discouraging people from eating meat. Now for a start, I'm sure the farmers who exist in Cumbria farm more than just meat. You know, we have farmers who, who will make, you know, grow vegetables and they'll grow uh, crops, uh, you know, like for, um, this is showing my complete ignorance of the topic, obviously, but you know what I'm trying to say, you know, they're, they're, they're farming more than just animals. And I've worked in catering, um, so I know the tight, tight budgets that mass catering has to adhere to to make it feasible. And when you've got, uh, one of the things that school was saying was they, they use a local supplier for a lot of their produce. And I'm, I'm sure that they do because that I, I know the supplier that they're talking about. I used to use them myself when I had my own business. And, but I also know that there is no way that you can afford to, to make meals for over a thousand children every day and pay the prices that you would need to pay for the locally produced meat because it is better it is a higher quality you know and and the fact that it does come locally uh, makes a difference to the price so there, there is there is an element of that they're, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place and um because they, they can only charge so much for the meals which means they can only pay so much for the ingredients and you think there needs to be more, and this this ties into what we're saying about you know sustainability in the environment. There needs to be a lot more education on where food comes from, and I do. I am going to you know do a disclaimer here: is that I am vegan myself. I don't eat meat. I don't eat animal products. But that's got that that's personal choice. That's got nothing to do with you know what I'm about to say now. But it it's just that I that that came about for me because I learned more about healthy diets and. Um, where the meat that I was eating did, does come from, largely, and it put me off, quite frankly. Um, and so I think that's the problem: is that we are educators, and we need to talk to our students about more than just what they need to learn about to pass an exam. You know, we need to be talking about to them about the wider world and their impact on it. And that seems to be something that everyone can relate to, isn't it? Food and where our food comes from. So. I think all of these things just is, is a conversation we need to be having. And for better or for worse, I think change needs to happen. But again, another example of a, another school in my local area that have been doing it fantastically is um, it was actually a school that I did my placement with, one of my placements with when I was in my training year. And they've been working on a project with a number of local businesses where they have... Um, got rid of plastic bottles in the canteen and they have given all of their students reusable water bottles and the obviously the idea is is that it reduces their carbon foot, footprint quite significantly and it teaches the students more about where their water comes from and and how important it is um to use it responsibly as well as reduce the impact on the environment by getting rid of plastic as much as possible. And I just think, you know, that that's, there's an example of the opposite end of someone of a school that's done it brilliantly and, a, a do, you know, have done really well. And I'm actually hopefully going to try and get um, 
somebody who I used to work with when I was there on the show in the new year to talk about the project and, and how it came about and what they had to do because I just think it's I, I don't actually know a great deal about it I only saw the, the post on Facebook but I would love to find out more so stay tuned in the new year and hopefully I'll have more to tell you on that and actually, uh, one of the things I was planning to do, uh, link into all of this, was uh, to have a show in January about um, Veganuary and what schools can do to become more sustainable. And one of the things I was going to talk about was initiatives like Meat Free Mondays. So you never know, maybe I could get somebody from, uh, from the school that just tried to do it on to talk to us about you know, the potential pitfalls of such a plan. But I'll keep you posted and I will let you know um, how that goes. So I'm going to do an ad break um, and a news break very shortly, and then I'll be playing the interview with Mr. Tease. So stay tuned, and of course, we're on Twitter, or you can use the Podbean app to text in or call in and let us know your thoughts on anything you've heard so far, and it would be great to hear your feedback on the interview with Mr. Tease as well. Um, as this was a pre-recorded interview, unfortunately, the man in question, um, understandably, incredibly busy leading up to the end of term, was very kind to give up his time earlier in the week and we managed to record an interview. So I'm not going to be able to take any live questions for our esteemed guest this evening, but I am happy to report that he has agreed to join us on the show live in the new year. Uh, we're aiming for the 30th of January, so we'll have more of a Q&A session um, talking to, to him then. So that will be you know, an opportunity for everyone to uh, fire any questions that you might have onto the show and we can talk about it. But by all means, please still get in touch because um, anything, any comments, any feedback, I would love to hear your thoughts on what's being said on the interview this evening and just as the motto of the show is, to talk it out. Find out what your experiences are, anything that resonates with you, anything that has happened to you um, in your uh, in your first couple of, in, well, first full term of teaching now nearly. It would be great to hear your experiences and how you've been coping with that. So as I say, I will pop the advert on now and, listen, and we'll play the news and then when we come back, we will hear, uh, you'll get to hear the interview with Mr. Teeks. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Following the latest government restrictions to reduce the spread of the new COVID variant, University and College Union is advising that it would be sensible to move university lessons online. 
the temporary measure would see online lessons return for the final week of term. The union is calling for the move to protect students ahead of Christmas after the Department for Education told universities to remain open for face-to-face -face teaching as planned. Some individual universities, including Imperial College London, have already made the move following rapid rises in cases on campus. The union is also calling for risk assessments to be conducted before students and staff return after the festive period. Schools must not lose sight of their core purpose amidst new demands for vaccinating pupils, testing children for COVID and dealing with anti-vax protesters, says Ofsted's Regional Director for London. According to a report in the Evening Standard, Mike Sheraton said that schools exist to educate children and to keep them safe, but acknowledged that school leaders are being pulled from pillar to post with new expectations. His comments come after the watchdog announced that Ofsted inspectors would not visit schools in the last week of term unless there were safeguarding concerns. In Scotland, the Daily Record reports Nicola Sturgeon's comments that she will bust a gut to keep schools open after also suggesting that there will be a tsunami of infections due to the latest variant. Whilst the First Minister acknowledged that there would be disruptions to schools due to infections, she indicated that there would be no return to the countrywide closures seen at the start of the pandemic. This week, leaders from Eastern and Southern Africa recommitted to the education, health and well-being of adolescents and young people. As part of the International Conference on AIDS and Sexually Transmitted Infections, Ministers of Health and Education from 20 countries across the region agreed to renew their commitments first made in 2013. The drive will continue to focus on creating and implementing a more systematic scale-up of sex education, including a focus on reducing early and unintended pregnancy, gender-based violence and health and well-being. Deputy Minister of Basic Education in South Africa stated, Our young people are our hope for the development of our continent. And Zanzibar Minister for Education said it was important to create a land where our adolescents and young people are healthier, more productive and contribute to a more inclusive society. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. Hello and welcome back to the Sunday Night Twilight Show with Kaylee Clark. So, so far we've just been having a bit of a roundup of the week. Um, there's been so many fantastic shows on Teachers Talk Radio this week. So, uh, really do, you know, go go through those um, if you haven't had a chance to listen live. And I really recommend it because we've had so many great guests on the shows this week. Um, I've learned so much. And, and I think just from the point of view of being a new teacher, the radio show has actually been great for me, learning about all kinds of things that I wasn't even aware of in um, the education sector, but also the people who are out there really making things happen at the moment. So thank you very much for the education that I've had this week. Okay, right, um, so the moment we've all been waiting for, we are now going to get on with the interview with Mr. T's NQTs. Um, so for those of you who don't know, about um, Mr. T's on Twitter. I will let him, the man himself, uh, introduce himself properly. But again, I just think that he's, he's such a great influence out there, somebody who's just relentlessly positive. There's so much negativity on social media, as we're all aware. And he's just always positive. He's always there to lend a helping hand, um, a shoulder to cry on in the Twitter sphere, as it were. 
and he just does so much good I think and especially when there's been a lot of negativity coming from early career teachers at the moment because they are so overwhelmed and they're overworked and they're really struggling with being a teacher under the new arrangement where we have mentors and of course that's not new I'm sure you know teachers have been having new teachers have had mentors for for years but just the, the difference that having a good mentor can make and if somebody hasn't got a particularly empathetic mentor then having someone there even if it's just somebody that you can talk to on Twitter makes all the difference so we're going to jump into the interview now um, and as I say please get in touch on by text or call and ask uh, let us know your feedback um, any comments any thoughts any opinions on anything you hear it would be great to hear and we will read those out after the interview I believe I'm allowed to call you by your real name so hello Andy welcome to the show Thanks, Katie. Pleasure to be here. Great. And would you be so kind then as to give us a little bit of a background? Um, tell us about yourself. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, really nice to be here this evening. And uh, a bit about me. Well, I started teaching back in 2002. I first qualified as an NQT in a um, quite a large infant school in, in Gloucestershire, which is kind of close to where I live at the moment. And yeah, I started off on a maternity contract of, uh, for two terms and ended up being there six years later. And then as it came to around that six year mark, I picked up my first kind of opportunity to mentor NQTs as the um, lady who was doing it was stepping down part time. She handed it over and she was my NQT mentor and it gave me so many kind of brilliant skills and strategies that I then kind of used forward as I was moving through. I then continued to mentor NQTs for the next 10 years of my career. And that was um, for a short while at the school I was in. Then moving to a um, another infant and junior school, which then later federated. And in that 10 years, I mentored 17 NQTs in that time of varying different teaching styles, backgrounds, um, skills, personalities. And it was fascinating for me. Everyone, I learned so much from each of them working with them. And it it led me to that, that passion of being able to work with early career teachers, regardless of where they were with a, a student as a, or as trainees or coming along as NQTs as they were at that point and I got to that point um, 16 years into my career I've been a deputy head then for six years and there was that pressure of oh you should be going for headship next and that was at the point where I thought well actually I don't fancy headship it seems quite a bureaucratic role in from what I'd seen and takes a lot of time away from being with, with people and with children and it made me think actually I really enjoyed working with, with trainees and early career teachers so I then decided to took a bit of a leap of faith and moved into higher, higher education initially as a, an associate lecturer um, predominantly working with PGC students but also supporting on the early career network that was being created by the university at that time and then secured a permanent position there again mainly to support them with their early career teacher network which just continued to build over the last few years and alongside that I then also teach um, trainee teachers in both PGCE and undergraduate and yeah absolutely love the work I do love being able to support those early career teachers and being able to know that you know by proxy I'm having a positive impact on on the children and being able to kind of really equip teachers for really long-lasting careers in education which you know is what we want really so that's yeah that's me in a nutshell and yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that that sounds like you've certainly had um, lots of different experience and lots of different 
areas really um so yeah interesting what you said just there about um the idea of you still get to work with the children by proxy i mean yeah. something that i'm finding you know having moved into teaching late later in my career shall we say um is that idea that 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 is something that really makes a difference for me is that you actually can see the impact you're having on the students um whether that's just because of the relationships you build with them or or the actual you know work you're helping them to achieve so do you do you feel that you're still getting that then um you know that sense of satisfaction that yes you're you're, you're helping us um early career teachers but do you miss the the side of working with the students or have you kind of adopted us as your new students <laughs> I I think a bit of both actually I do still miss the interaction with children and um having a class of trainees can be very much like having a class of children sometimes when you're trying to manage them in the very similar ways actually the same behavior management strategies work amazingly but what I do find <laughs> is that that interaction those moments those random moments that reception year one children kind of come out with they just blurt these random facts out and things which just can have you in stitches you know those conversations you have with year sixes when they're trying to be all cool about everything and it's it's those kind of interactions that that i do do miss i get to do that kind of as you said like vicariously through the stories i hear that as students bring back or when i go to observe students on placement trainees teaching and i get to kind of listen to those conversations and be be kind of part of that then but what's really nice is I get to hear when we've kind of talked about in sessions um, how to support trainees and giving them strategies, giving them ideas to talk about. And then they come back and say, oh, you told me that and it really worked. And this was the impact on the children. This is what, and uh, that's where you get that kind of uh, that, that basking in the reflected glory, if you like, almost that, you know, you've enabled somebody else to go and have an impact on on 30 children and that that then continued impact that they have. And when a very learned colleague that I work with said, you know, you've, you've taught for 16 years, you know, think about how many children you've probably worked with or you've inspired at that point. And yeah, like probably about 2000 children that, you know, over that time through the school and through that wider impact. We said, well, now think about your teaching 30, 30 adults to, that will then go on to support 30 children. And that's just in the class. He said, you will have that continued cascading effect and actually have a much wider effect on children through what you're doing now. And that is really quite profound for me, that sort of actually, yeah, by supporting and inspiring early career teachers, you have a you have an actually much greater effect on education as, as a whole, which was really eye-opening for me. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it goes to show how experienced you are as a teacher that that just didn't terrify you immediately. <laughs> you saw that as, you know, the profound effect as opposed to the pressure <laughs> that yeah. you must have felt. But yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that's that's the, the, the key to it, isn't it? You obviously sound very, you're still very passionate about what you do, mm -hmm. clearly. Um, so it sounds like you've just sort of shifted that um passion from just you know it's a different demographic that you're teaching yeah. now isn't it um so so when you say you know you've come from a primary background and and then you've obviously you've moved into higher education um the one one of the things that that um the new early career framework um not has been criticized over but maybe sort of needs a little bit of development is um i'm certainly finding that because they're a, a, approaching both primary and secondary teachers at the same time. Yeah. Um, I mean, th there is there is some um, specialism, of course, but it's generally the same information that's being delivered to both groups. How have you found that being able to sort of, you know, have have a, being able to straddle sort of the whole 
um, everything from primary right the way through up to higher education. How have you, how do you find the ECF um, actually fits the needs of all teachers? Do you think it does? That's a really, really good question. Actually, we were talking about this today and I had the privilege today, we had a, a group of PGC students that were um, completing their, um, their, their training and were being signed off. So talking to them about the ECF and their ECT time that we're going into. What I did find when we were talking about it, it is very much the, the provider materials that have been created are one size fits all and they've been devised deliberately in that way to make sure they can capture everybody and i think that is a it's a strength in itself but also a limitation because again those examples that they're using are often focused either on secondary or primary and sometimes that translation of those isn't always clear i think that's where mentors really come in and really play their their strength mm. whether they can show actually okay this this you know this example here it's based in year you know give an example of how it works in year one we're working with you know year 11 pupils here in key stage four actually this is how it would look for us and i think that's where mentors really come into their own so they can kind of tailor and adapt it i think as a curriculum it provides ecf as a curriculum i should say i think it provides a good kind of broad understanding of, of teaching and that continual cpd i think was really can grade great it will give greater consistency i was yeah. um, an nqt mentor and the local authority i worked in provided some excellent cpd however i was very aware that that was not the case for every nqt and one of the reasons why i started mr t's nqts was i was very aware that that mental support the guidance from people from the appropriate bodies local authorities varied so significantly and i kind of felt that actually access to that sort of support, sort of support shouldn't be postcode dependent mm. it should be universal it should be national and i think that that's what the ecf has tried to do i do yeah. think there are teething issues with it absolutely i think there are materials that were created which i think like you said that is that best fit at one size fits all which does need to be adapted by mentors but also there's that sense of the provision that they've had during their training years there's probably a huge variation in that um university i work with they we've the ecf uh, the core content framework which is the step below the early career framework that's been embedded for about 18 months where we are mm. but for some universities it's only recently become embedded so it's again it's that sense of we when the ecf is, uh, is going to we need to catch everybody and you know it's a bit like we sometimes we do in in school when we're teaching we go okay well this is what's my lowest common denominator and what's my point do i need to take it from and then i can build from that point and i think like i said i think that's where mentors can be really good at adapting it and saying actually yeah this is relevant but we need to take this bit and this bit and we'll go with that bit the rest actually doesn't apply to your subject your context where you're working yeah. and that's where that adaptation can come in yeah thank you very much for that yeah it's really interesting to hear your your opinions on that and your viewpoint um so if we can just go back slightly um yeah. we kind of rushed rushed through this in in uh, <laughs> to, to get on to the next question but can you can you tell us a bit more about how you actually became a mentor you know what was the actual you know when when you had that first mentor mentee for the first time how did yeah. that come about um i was um, as i said it was kind of a i've been at the school for for five years of going to my sixth year and that's the point where 
the previous mentor who'd been a student mentor or an NQT mentor was stepping down her, her days and said, we think you've got a lot of skills that would support others. Would you consider being a mentor? And I was like, actually, yes, I would. I'd really quite like that. I think it's a nice bit of career development, gives me kind of opportunities to, to manage people or, you know, adults as well as a, a class of 30 children. And it gave me that opportunity. And I thought, well, actually, you know, what do I need to do to be able to do that? At the time, there was mental training going on for NQT mentors. And a lot of it was focused around values. Kind of why were you in that room? What values did you have that would support mentors? And yes, there was a little bit about the statutory processes that needed to be undertaken in order to support mental uh, and support NQTs. But the majority of the time it was what qualities are going to make you a good mentor? And it was that chance to reflect actually what is it that I bring? And a couple um, kind of that really came out for me being able to being approachable, being somebody that people can come and speak to. And, you know, sometimes that's not always a blessing. Sometimes that can be a curse when you're trying to, 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 to I've had it before, where I'm trying to teach a class of children and the caretaker's come and position himself in my room because he wants to have a chat about something. I'm <laughs> okay, actually teaching now, but, you know. That yeah, double-edged sword, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> But being approachable is a really key one, being able to listen and being able to understand as well. And I spent a lot of time developing active listening skills where you could kind of make really clarify, this is what I'm hearing you saying, is this right? Because we know sometimes when we're getting quite, quite passionate about something or quite, um, there's an emotional context that we don't always explain and articulate ourselves clearly. So it's sometimes it's with that ability to be able to say, this is what I think you're telling me. Am I right? And being able to unpick through that. Also being quite an empathetic person of the 17 mentor, uh, 17 NQTs I mentored, 16 of them cried on me at some point during their, and I think that's a bit of a rite of passage as a mentor, <laughs> you have to have them cry on you at some point. But it's that bit of, that people could be vulnerable with you and be open yeah. and be kind of yeah because they know you can you've got that empathy there that you've got that compassion there yeah and that's those kind of the skills those are where i focus most of my efforts the, the statutory side that kind of developed along it and as you work in something it's like everything that you work in you know those ect starting their school um, starting schools in september all those systems that were in place you you learn and you know those as you use them and apply them and so for me the 16 years of working with the statutory guidance i knew it inside out i had a really good contact at the appropriate body where if there were any anomalies i could have those kind of those conversations but my first um nqt that i mentored was absolutely fab and made my job really easy he was brilliant just one of those people that you I use a lot of coaching skills with rather mentoring skills. That sort of person that you could, you need to just give the right questions to, those right prompts, and then you could set them off on their way. Mm. The second NQT that I, and I thought at that point, like, I'm a really good mentor. This was easy. <laughs> no problem at all. My second NQT came along. It was like, oh, okay, this is a very different <laughs> kind of need. Proposition, <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And so I spent a lot of time actually mentoring, being that person that, you know, without getting too rich theory, that more knowledgeable other being able to say, you need to try this and give yes. you very factual, very tactile things that tangible things, I should say, to actually to do in their lessons to support yeah. them. But and then throughout the time, I've developed both sides of that. And sometimes you've cut I've coached, sometimes I've mentored with some NQTs, I've done both. Some have just very much needed that 
like I said, that guidance of, have you thought about this? Or if you considered this as an option and that coaching side of things rather than, and then some have needed that really kind of fine mentoring skills as we're going through. But I, it's something that I've, I've honed over that time. And it's, it's again, it's just that ability to relate to people and to really know people a bit like every class teacher worth their salt will know their children inside and out. And it's the same with being a mentor. You will know your NQTs inside and out and building that relationship with them is so important. Hmm. I mean, everything you've just said, um, I would wholeheartedly agree with. I think I'm fortunate that I've I've landed on my feet with an excellent mentor and I'm and and certainly all the qualities that you've just said are, are necessary for a good mentor um he has in spades and and I I agree with you that sometimes it, it's just the more it's those more tacit skills isn't it where you've just got the ability to sit and listen to someone and sometimes just unpick their their anxieties um, and their thought processes. And, and I know exactly what you're saying is, is sometimes I'm, I'm that type of person that sometimes you get yourself just in a right little pickle and you can't quite, you, you yeah. don't know enough to get yourself out of it. Yeah. And sometimes you just need somebody to kind of, you know, give you a push and say, have a go at that. And, and suddenly yeah. it's like the clouds disappear and, and the sun comes out again. But um, that kind of covers my next question was, was you know, what qualities do you need? But, yeah. but quite frankly, everything you've just said, it, it, it sounds like almost you have to be born to be a mentor <laughs> because that those are, those are certain qualities that, you know, come naturally to some and, and not to others. So would you say it's actually possible to train a good mentor or is it more about the type of person that they are and, you know, finding those members of staff within the school team and kind of directing them into the role of mentor rather than trying to just pick somebody and train them to become that person what do you think about that i oh i, I kind of fall on the uh, i'm gonna get splinters here i'm sitting on the fence i kind of fall on both sides i think sometimes you need that willingness to want to do a, men a mentoring because it is a very involved process it, you know you're giving it's an additional time you know time burden and everybody and actually an additional emotional burden so i think there needs to be something within you that makes you think, actually, I want to do this. But I don't think, as I said about the listening side of things, actually, I could listen, but I had to develop the active listening side of things. And I know one of my, one of my not one of my strengths is I will avoid confrontation at all costs, wherever possible. And I, but I've had to learn strategies to still be able to be assertive without being confrontational. And that took time. And I think, you know, those are skills now that I will have a very open and honest conversation with somebody if they, you know, things aren't going the way they need it or the way you want it to. But often I found that you can preempt a lot of those by trying to put support in early or trying to kind of navigate around that to avoid that confrontation. But yeah, it took me a while to be able to be brave enough to be able to have those conversations. And I once went on a, went on a training course and somebody said, it's like swallowing a frog that the, th <laughs> the thought of it is really quite, is really quite horrible. So, but actually once you do it, you'll find it slips down quite easily. But actually- <laughs> That's gotta be the strangest analogy I've ever heard. <laughs> absolutely, but once it's done and it's gone, it's happened, it's over with. And, and, and she was right. And often those conversations that I kind of had 
I was worried about the most often went really, really well. Mm. Sometimes it would be those curveballs that would come at me that suddenly that would be like, oh, okay, how do I deal with that at this moment in time that would surprise me? But I think you absolutely, you, I think there has to be a need there or not a need. There has to be a passion there for wanting to do this role. But absolutely, I think you can develop the skills to be able to be really, you know, a really effective and an excellent mentor to be able to support. But it does, it does take time. I'm a far better mentor now than I was when I first started out. I know that I can acknowledge those skills I've developed over that time. But I think there has to be a willingness to do it because it is a, there is an additional workload and an additional Mm. kind of burden, both emotionally and time-wise on your, on your, on you as a person. Definitely. And it, and it sounds like just because you're a good teacher doesn't necessarily mean you'll be a good mentor and and that seems almost a bit of a um is a a paradox the right word you know it's 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 sort of you know you would assume that um a a great teacher who who is great with their class and great with the students would automatically then be able to transfer those skills to adults but I suppose that's why we have adult education and the education of young people you know yeah it's, it's interesting that that you've highlighted it being such a different skill set yeah mm-hmm. so um i suppose i'm just conscious of of uh time getting on a bit so we need to you know i could i think i could sit and talk to you all day about this but um yeah so it, it just a shout out for anyone who's listening at the moment enjoying if you're enjoying the conversation please text in please give us a call um let us know what you think about what's going on and we'd love to hear from you so um, I suppose we need to talk about Twitter, don't we? Because absolutely, that is that is um, where you seem to work a lot of your magic. So um, just just a, you know quickly to to sort of talk about the background. How did you how did you get onto Twitter in the first place, and sort of um, why why have you chosen that as the platform to do what you do? I I deliberately chose Twitter and I made a conscious effort to to create Twitter because I wanted something that I could speak very honestly in a meeting in in the media I have. So I I do, I don't hide behind, but I use an avatar for, um, for my profile picture there because it, it allows me to speak very freely. Mm. And, um, I started the Twitter account as I was finishing in school and making that transition to higher education and I didn't want to feel that I had I was having to to vet what I was saying because of you know that risk of of um damaging my professionalism if that makes sense or feeling that I was expressing the views of an establishment either the school or university but I was it was one of those things that started out for me is I wasn't even sure that there was a need for what what I was doing and I was not expecting it to be a this point in time, I think last time I checked, I had I'd just gone over the thirty thousand follower mark, which is just bonkers in my own mind. I can't clearly doing everything right. That. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it it was about trying to establish whether there were, like I said, whether there was a need for it. I knew from people that I'd met that mentoring was varied for NQTs, and that wasn't all, and the right information wasn't always available to people. Yeah. And I wanted somebody who could, I wanted to create something that would champion NQTs and ECTs now so that they had a place where they felt it was on their side. Because often when you're in a school, if things aren't going well, you can feel that the establishment is kind of against you. And I wanted to be somewhere where people could come and ask honest questions, get honest answers, but would be accurate answers Mm. to be able to support them. And it's just built over time I'm kind of and Twitter again deliberately it was 
I'm not giving away a lot of personal information. It is just about that. This is really kind of solid advice. I can choose what I interact with. I don't get kind of a lot coming at me. I try, I deliberately prune the people that I I, I, uh, I follow and things to make sure I'm avoiding the negativity. And I'm, I'm surprised often that some people take the time to come on just to say negative things. And I'm a bit yeah. like, I, I don't quite understand that. That just doesn't fit with my psyche. I can't quite unpick that. And I want it to be a positive place where people can share positives, but equally the opportunity for people to share concerns and to know that that support is there for them. Or if I can't support them, be able to signpost them of where they can get that support from. Yeah, because I think, well, that's that's the the immediate drawback of social media is that trolling culture isn't it um and you think you know channel your energies elsewhere you could be yeah. you could you could achieve so much more but as you say by offering that sort of um anonymous platform almost um i think when, when you're going into a new profession for the first time it, it's teaching is so involved i i have never been handed so much responsibility straight off the bat yeah and there is just an assumption that you can and I think some, something that, I mean, we, we were chatting prior to this interview um, and, and saying, you know, I, I sometimes feel a bit of a fraud as an as a ECT because I think my workload is, is, is okay. You know, I've had worse, but I, but I think that that is because I've got the perspective of having worked at other places and I've worked in toxic environments and for difficult managers and bosses. And you think when you've had that perspective, you can sort of take a step back and go, you know, at the end of the day, this, this really isn't that bad and I will get better. I, I don't need to worry about all the things I don't know just at the moment. Um, and you, you're just generally better at organizing your time when you've had practice, you know, you've already had a few years practice at it. So I suppose on the Twitter sphere, shall we shall we call yeah. it? What what are the, the, the question I think everybody's dying to ask or dying for me to ask you is what what are the key issues that you're seeing on Twitter at the moment? You know, you're in a in, in a position where you're getting, you know, you're getting bombarded with messages from people, positive and, and negative from the, the point of view that they're crying for help as well. So um we don't have to talk about all the negatives, of course, but but if you can just give us, you know, sort of the the top themes that are coming out of Twitter at the moment from um the ECT's perspective. Absolutely. I think the biggest one at the moment and seems to dominate is how exhausted and how <laughs> tired everybody is at this point of the year and it's just it's that sense of is this normal and sadly yes it, it kind of <laughs> is this time of year is always particularly this term is it's the longest term you're going into the winter the nights are darker you, you know, tend to be you'll go to work in the dark you get home in the mm, dark there's yep, no yep. sense of, of light out there it's the end of the first full term so often you know there's data drops people progress meetings getting to christmas we've got nativity school discos pta events all, all that fun things. stuff yeah absolutely <laughs> and it's great fun and it's brilliant but it's exhausting mm. because you're having to be on it all the time and often these you know you have christmas discos evening um nativity performances all these things happening outside on top of what you are doing day to day anyway teaching the pupils that you're with that's something that's coming through so just to reassure you it is completely normal but really look after yourself and particularly next week when hopefully you know it's just about christmas really use that time to just to rest recover you know you hopefully there won't be that much more i mean any marking next week for you that you can kind of think i'm just you know what, i'm just gonna 
enjoy it, embrace the madness of making Christmas cards, but know that actually I'm going to leave early a couple of nights. I'm going to use that time just for me to really protect that time. The other side of things I think, I think seeing is people becoming quite negatively again, quite overwhelmed by, as you were saying, the amount of responsibility and the amount that there is to do in the role. And as I said to you earlier, I was talking to a group of PGC students and they were asking, like, is it harder than the PGC year or is, is, or is it easier? What, what do you think? And I said, actually, it's just different. Because mm. in the PGC year, when you're training, ultimately, regardless of, you know, you, that final placement, you take responsibility. Ultimately, you know, it's not your responsibility. There is somebody yeah. else that's there. Yeah, there's someone you. to hold your hand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Whereas in Easter, it's you. Everything is you. Planning, mm. marking, assessing. It's all you. The displays are all you. Making sure they're, you know, reading record books assigned, meeting with parents. Everything comes at you. And it's hard mm. and it's tough to be able to manage that all the time. You've got the, you know, the nine to three of teaching and part imparting wisdom to the pupils and it's everything else around it. And it is all you and it's full on, mm. but you will get there. And that's the thing I, I think sometimes, you know, we feel everything coming at us, but it's like learning to drive again. You know, the first time you get into a car and you've got the gear stick, the mirrors, the indicators, you know, the steering wheel, the accelerator, the brake, the clutch, all these things come at you and it's hard. And then, you know, by, you know, a year down the line, actually you can manage those things quite instinctively. Mm. And it allows you to, and you know, in a school, unless you trained in the school you've secured a job in, you're going to school with new systems, often new languages. I often talk about schools speak a different language, the mm. labels they use for groups of pupils, the systems they use. Oh yeah. All these things you're trying to learn and it's tough, mm. but give yourself time. They can become more instinctive. You will get there. You will develop those side of things. Yeah. But equally, uh, obviously, you know, share some positives as well. Lots of people celebrating, you know, getting to the end of the first term, completing um, their first kind of placement of their PGCE year, celebrating those little moments. And those are things to really hold on to. Those moments when a child presents you with, you know, a homemade card that says, thank you for being my teacher at Christmas mm. time. Those are the things to keep. Those are the things that will really kind of give you those buzzes and that positivity. That parent that comes along and says, oh, you know, they've had such a lovely start to the year. Thank you so much for all that you're doing for them. Those little moments, you've got to keep those. And when um, head teacher I used to work work with, she said, you should keep, you keep a scrapbook and put all those things in. And on those days when it's been tough, pull out your scrapbook and look through all those positives because we forget the positives so quickly. Mm. We do focus on the things that don't go well, but those positives are there and you've got to hold on to those. I think that's excellent advice. I mean, I'm fortunate that my uh, my mentor meeting is always scheduled on the last period of a Friday. And I love it because it's just he always comes in. And, and one of the first things he says to me is what went well this week? Yeah. And, you know, what a great question, because it just immediately makes you think about oh yeah well actually I had a really good lesson with that class or oh they, they actually produced a really good assessment and it was much that you know it was much better than I was expecting it was going to be yeah. and they showed real progress and 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 then you know when he says to me and and you know maybe what's not gone so well suddenly it doesn't seem that bad anymore no. <laughs> because you know by focusing on the positives you think actually those negative things they'll get better yeah so I, I think that's brilliant advice so um 
if I can just sort of go back to what we were saying about the the early career framework, because obviously yeah. one of the purposes, one of the sort of, you know, um, when they're talking about what it's designed to do is ultimately um, prevent teachers from leaving the profession within yeah. the first few years. So I suppose if we start off by saying how, how do you think the shift to the ECF from what was the NQT and RQT support framework, if for, for want of a better way's phrase, yeah. do you think that's an, Im an improvement? And leading on from that, I suppose, do you think it's going to do the job of retaining teachers? I, I think the shift to, to a two year induction absolutely will. And I think that's something that I experience, you know, so much with NQTs. And I was always very mindful because I would often pick up the NQTs that I trained and would do their performance management, their appraisal systems with them. So I was always very mindful of making sure they would still continue to get that support. Whereas I, I know for some, they completed their NQT year and then that was it, right, off you go, you're on your own. Whereas a two year induction now, there is still that investment in, you know, we acknowledge you are still learning, you're mm. still developing and that never stops. That investment in you and your development should never stop. And I think that's a really positive side of it that, you know, you've got those two years, you've then got two years to meet the teacher standards and historically, and now is the case, induction is a, is a one shot thing. You get one shot at completing induction. And as the NQT year, it was one year to demonstrate the teacher standards. You've now got two. So it gives you time to grow and to develop. And it, it takes time to grow and develop into that role. So absolutely, I think that's a real positive step for it. The ECF, I think there are some teething issues with it still. I think for some people, it does feel repetitive of what they've covered previously in their teacher training. I think there is for schools. I think the timing of it is we knew it was coming and we've known about it for the last three, four years that this change was coming. However, with the pandemic and schools rightly focusing on actually, let's just keep our pupils safe, our teachers safe. Let's make sure that's our the ECF coming out and induction happening this year kind of went under the radar a little bit because their focus was rightly on that, yeah. that aspect. Yeah. And then it was suddenly like, oh, we need to have a mentor and an induction and our mentor needs training and our mentor needs time out of the classroom. There's just sure. suddenly all these additional things that weren't anticipated. Yeah. And that's, I think, is kind of, is, I think next year it will run much more smoothly. Mm. I think there are those teething issues with it this year. And I don't think schools quite expecting the additional workload that came with the ECF that yeah. was intended um or that wasn't intended but it's just now the position we find ourselves in so I think it's it's working our way through it this year and then knowing that actually we'll be in a much stronger place next you think okay now we know what we're doing with it and we'll go with it it's a bit like anytime anything changes remember the 2014 curriculum coming in and things like fronted adverbials appearing and and all these things all these terminology people are, what on earth is this i've talked for you know i just yeah. for 12 years and never used the word fronted adverbials before in my life <laughs> and then suddenly it had to be common parlance in the school everything takes a while to embed and i think it's that it's giving it time yeah to do that and to become embedded and go work its way through those teething issues but i think ultimately it will provide consistent cpd for all for all ects and that investment and that acknowledge that you are still learning and it takes time and you should be you shouldn't be expecting to, you you shouldn't be expecting yourself to be the finished perfect article nobody else has that expectation and it's that sense of we know that you you know we give you longer to develop and to get to that point where you need to be 
Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, everything that you're saying, I, I would agree. I think, you know, you can't launch something completely new and expect it to work perfectly from the off. And, and as, as we were saying before we um, started this conversation that um, certain schools will have been much better prepared just because they will have had, you know, a pool of experienced mentors to draw from um, yeah. and others will have probably been caught on the back foot a bit and especially if their current system was so far removed from yeah. the ECF that they're going to found they're going to have found this you know a much um, a much more uphill struggle aren't they so I'm yeah okay so um just to sort of finish things off then um one of the things we do on the show or i'm trying trying to launch on the show is uh a, a, what i'm calling the sunday soundbite so yeah. is there something that you have overheard recently whether it's one of your mentees or um you know something that you remember from school days something particularly funny or interesting that stood out for you that's all what you always remember oh that's a really good one i think there's a couple that instantly spring to mind and I think going for this time of year, I think it would have to be um, school nativity play for me. <laughs> and um, we used to write our own uh, plays and put together because we were quite a large school. We wanted to get, you know, get things right and make sure we had parts for everybody. So we would create our own. And I remember one year we'd written it. We thought we'd written an absolutely hilarious kind of script that would get the parents <laughs> rocking in the aisles. And, Quite a few of the jokes went by and there was no response at all. And we were a bit like, oh, it's a tough crowd. And then we put in kind of just a, a bit of silliness at one point. They were, we were, it was Once Upon a Crime was the title of the, the play. It was kind of a pantomime based and it was two fairy tale police officers that were going around kind of investigating. So we've got Goldilocks breaking and entering and the ugly stepsisters uh, for their you know, abuse of Cinderella. And as they arrived on, they always carry this kind of cardboard police car and go nee no nee no nee no as they came on. And one point in it, they needed to reverse out the way because they'd gone too far. And they went instead of going nee no, they went no nee no. And <laughs> the parents <laughs> and we just looked at each other. We were like that got the biggest laugh. And it was you cannot anticipate these things sometimes. But there are so many stories like that were from particularly this time of year when children just embrace kind of that the craziness of Christmas and being able to really go for it and kind of show this different aspects of them. And I think it is a tough time, but, you know, find those little moments, see those children in a different light, mm. seeing them kind of really shine in a different way. It's uh, yeah, it's just absolutely rewarding. Yeah. Oh, great. When you were saying that, I, I immediately thought of that scene in Love Actually, where Emma Thompson's daughter comes home and says, I've been given the part of the lobster in the nativity. <laughs> and Emma says, there was, you know, third lobster or something she was. And, and, yeah. and Emma Thompson says there was more than one lobster present at the birth of baby Jesus. <laughs> and I thought, I think that just sums nativities up. It does, doesn't it? Absolutely. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and you, um, look forward to uh, our uh, show in the new year as well, where you are yep. going to be coming back. So, um, yeah, so any anyone who didn't get a chance to ask their questions this time will have the opportunity again. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And um, we look forward, have a great holiday, enjoy yourself, nice and Absolutely. relaxed. And yeah. um, we'll talk to you again in the new year. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kaylee. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you? 
Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Welcome back to the Twilight Show on Sunday night. I hope you enjoyed that interview because I certainly did. Just listening back to it again um, reminded me we were having such a great conversation. I could have spoken to Andy all night. He's just a, a wealth of knowledge and he's just clearly so pos uh, positive and passionate about what he does. So I hope you enjoyed that. I did see that we had a few, um, we had a couple of listeners who tried to call in and I wasn't able to take the call at the time. I'm sorry because we were playing the interview, but if you're still there and you'd like to give us a call, then now is your opportunity to do so. It would be great to hear from you. So again, Andy's um, take on things was, was, it was a real snapshot of everything at the moment. So um, we hope to go into a lot more detail when we talk again in the new year. But um, some of the things he was talking about mentoring was actually quite similar to um, a show that I was listening to yesterday with the lovely Zoe Enza, who um, was uh, talking about the role of a mentor and something Andy said, you know, sometimes the, the, the mentor uh, needs to be someone who can give you the answers that you need and just be that someone to go to, to to give a solution to a problem because those NQTs, um, sorry, ECTs, we just sometimes don't know the answers and we just haven't got the knowledge and the skills to, to know what to do yet. Um, and it reminded me of an experience I had when I was on placement is I had a I had a fantastically knowledgeable mentor, um, and I really enjoyed um, working with them and and learning from them as a teacher. But whenever I went with a problem or, or something I wasn't sure of, the response tended to be, "Well, how do you think you should deal with that? Or what do you think you should do about that? Um, how are you going to solve that particular problem?" And it stumped me because I was just thinking, I don't know. Um, you know, that's the reason why I've come to ask you. I don't know. Um, and, and you just need sometimes that person just to, to give you that information that you need. And then you can run with it and then you know what to do. Um, and something that as teachers that we're, we're taught to do is, I suppose for want of a better word, is, is not, not to give away the answers. Um, if a student asks you a question, um, you don't just get, give them the answer. You try and uh, you know, lead them to the answer. Um, oh, right. Interrupt myself there because we have a caller yeah. online, AB's podcast. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah hello, ML. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you doing tonight? Yeah. So I'm from India, actually. And Hi. I uh, yeah. have been, Yeah. Yeah, hello from India. <laughs> so, uh, I was listening to your conversation, uh, and uh, it's interesting. I and my friend, he's also in the right now. He's also listening to this podcast, and uh, like he sent me the link of your podcast, and he was like, "Let let's hear this podcast. It's interesting." Uh, so, like, uh, he just wanted to ask this: uh, how your education system works. 
because we have a whole different system you know our education system is actually i i would say it's it's harsh <laughs> and uh, because, right. you know uh, once once we complete our uh, higher education once we complete our uh, schooling we just uh, have to go to choose what we will do after that we don't have a time in between to you know understand uh, our stream uh, what we are passionate about we just have to decide uh, while we are studying so it's actually pretty uh, difficult for us but uh, like uh, right so so are you are you a, a teacher are you a teacher ab have you trained uh, to be a teacher in india no not actually yeah uh, i'm not a teacher actually like i'm not a uh, uh, i'm actually an engineer oh right i used to teach yeah so i used to teach uh, science uh, to some students and uh, right now i'm uh, teaching them english mm -hmm. so it's basically like uh, i'm not the, <laughs> i'm not a uh, professional teacher but like yeah like i'm in between yeah so i wanted sure. to know about you sure well how uh, yeah yeah well how ours works is um you need to have a degree to be a teacher um yeah, but yeah, you you can either yeah you can either go to, to university to do um a degree in education or yeah. you can do a, a specialist subject like english or history or um one of the sciences and then but if, and then once you're once you've got your degree then you can teach that subject but um what you have you have to then do another qualification which we call a pgce um and once and, and it's a postgraduate certificate of education and you need that before you can then go into the classroom all right so is it uh, uh, is it something that if i i have actually i have completed my bachelor uh, in technology yeah if i go for pg uh or like if i want to be a teacher so if I go for PG in education, is it possible that I found some problem in teaching field? Is it possible? Um, well, I'm not sure how the qualifications would work if you're staying in India, but um, in the UK, yes. I mean, as long as as long as you have a degree, you can apply to to do a, a, a PGCE. Yes, um, and then once you've got that, it, it's not the PGCE isn't subject specific. Um, so it doesn't matter what your degree is in, but that will it will depend what you want to teach. So as I imagine if you've got a degree in engineering, you might be looking at something more like maths or science um, or technology. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, sure. Um, my friend, he also has questions. Uh, if you would like to like talk to him. Sure, sure. By all means, yeah. We, we've not got long because we're only on the show for another ten minutes. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, by all means, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay. Right. Great. First caller. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. So great um, to hear uh, international listeners to the show so thank you very much for that yeah interesting that might be a, another subject for a show in the future is to talk about how you actually become a teacher depending on what country you're in that would be a really cool uh, angle to come from i think so yeah just going back to what we were saying before um about mentoring and just really i think one of the takeaways from my interview with andy was as feeding back to mentors as 
an early career teacher is that treat to, to be treated like a blank canvas you know we we are educated in the sense that we've we've got the degree we've got the pgc but we've not got a lot of teaching experience so we need to be treated as a, as a student would be um, you wouldn't assume that a student's going to know the answer to a question that you ask them if you haven't given them the background information that they need to work it out so by the same logic um uh, early career teachers need to be treated as though they they haven't managed a difficult class before or they haven't come across a particular problem with a lesson that they've had and mentors just sometimes need to step in and help them solve it really in a nutshell so i thought that was i really enjoyed speaking with andy and i'm really looking forward to having him on again in the new year um next week we have got another guest on the show who is pete chung who is an associate lecturer at sheffield hallam university pete was one of my um lecturers when i was doing my pgce and he's very kindly agreed to join us on the show so pete is actually semi-retired and he's only he works for sheffield hallam part-time but his background is in teaching he's worked in primary education education he's worked at senior leadership and um then he moved into lecturing at the university of cumbria and now he's at sheffield hallam so just an incredibly experienced gentleman um and as as he's coming now to the end of his career in teaching he's able to offer a unique perspective in looking back over a long career in the sector and the changes that he's seen especially in relation to the new changes uh, to the initial teacher training programs both for primary and secondary so it's going to be great to get his take on that so we're coming to the end of the show soon. Haven't got a great deal of time left. It's flown by tonight. I've got to say, it's so much easier when you have a, a guest or an interview on the show. Um, really got to make sure that, that happens every week. So yeah, thank you to all of the um, fellow hosts who've provided me with content this evening. Much appreciated being able to talk about, about that. But really just a great learning experience as well for all concerned. Uh, and I just wanted to spend a bit of time now um giving you a, some uh, a rundown of what's to come for later on this evening and tomorrow so next after my show this evening is tom starkey's debut late show which starts at eight o'clock and in his words he is going to be offering a meditation on technology for education so anyone who's interested in how technology can improve your teaching and um, the impact that it's had and I'm guessing here, but I imagine we've we've all had some good and bad experiences of online education over the last 12 to 18 months. So that will be a great one to listen to. And in the morning, we've got the breakfast show at 7 a.m. with Tabitha McIntosh. So tune into that to start your Monday and last week of school off in the right way. So reflections over the last um half term then uh just carrying on for a lot from what andy was saying i think we can all agree it's been a really long term for all concerned regardless of where you are in in school and and what position you hold it's been a long term and i think everybody's just about ready for the the break and more than ready for the break we've had quite a lot of disruption over the last couple of weeks in lessons especially because we've had mocks going on for year 10 year 11 and sixth form so that's taken students out of their usual classes we've had a lot of sporting events going on 
which have been happening during the school day. We've also had school trips, which are back on now with, with um, great gusto, which is great to see now that we can again. I absolutely think that's so important for, for students to have that extra experience, but it does make it tough when you're trying to get everything covered before the end of the year. Um, maybe I'll get better at that as time goes on, and uh, I can preempt it a bit more, I suppose, and, and I know what to expect. But that's another thing. When you've never done it before, you, you don't know what's coming you don't know how hard it's going to be you don't know the challenges you're going to have as you get towards the end of term so all a learning curve and i think again andy helped me think about this about the importance of reflecting on things that have gone well and not focusing on the negatives which which is easy to do teachers generally care so much about what we do and we care so much about our students we want to get it perfect we want to get it right and sometimes you just need to remind yourself about all the things you're doing really well and all the things that you've achieved and look at things in a positive light especially when you're feeling tired and you're feeling worn down and exhausted one of the things definitely for me has been marking assessments got easier another thing we don't teach you is how to navigate the mark schemes and especially in English because depending upon the question and depending upon the exam paper which we give our students a lot of past exam papers because it's great practice and experience for them but there's so many different mark schemes and they're so vague <laughs> and, and one of the things that I struggled with when I first tried to do it is is establishing that difference between what you, when you're having to mark out an answer out of 30 um, how do you decide what mark to give the students and, and interpreting the mark scheme when it doesn't actually give you all that much information? But that's got easier and it does get easier with practice and you just got to remember that anything you don't know now, you will find out, you will learn, it will get easier and just keep thinking those positive thoughts. I've also been really happy to, to reflect on the relationships that I've developed with my classes over this last half term especially. I think the first the first half term starting in September, it's always going to be a bit tricky because you're new to the school, you're getting involved with everything for the first time, the way things are done, the culture, how they approach things, you've not got your head around the behaviour policy quite yet. Um, so sometimes that can, I've, I found that very challenging, but in the second half term, it's been much smoother, you're established, you, you've got your routines in place, the students know what to expect from you, and you're able to actually develop more of a, a connection and a relationship with them. And you start to realise that they're trusting you, they know that you care about them and that you've got their best interests at heart, and they start to see you properly as their teacher. And I have been overwhelmed with that recently. I think that's been a fantastic positive takeaway for me at the end of the year is just to reflect on especially some students who maybe had a look who were a little bit tricky um, and you, you know you didn't quite click with them but I've had some great experiences over the last couple of weeks where students have obviously done their assessments and you can really see the progress that they've made and they're really trying as well you can tell it really matters to them that they want to do well and they're they're asking you questions based on what you've taught them because they want to use that to improve themselves and 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 that feeds back into what we were saying earlier about self-regulation you know when you start to see them take ownership of their work and wanting to improve and wanting to figure out 
how they need to do that. That is so rewarding and it's such great feedback for you that you just think, I'm doing the right thing, you know, I must be doing something right. So that has been um, my reflections, I suppose, thinking, thinking back on things that have gone really well um, over the last term. And let's not talk about the negatives because there's, plen there's plenty of them and we don't need to talk about them all the time, do we? Um, we don't we don't need to dwell on them. Let's just focus on all the things that have gone well and look forward to having a really relaxing break. So we've got the one one show left to do before we take a break over the Christmas holidays. Um, so looking forward to talking to Pete from Sheffield Hallam University next Sunday, same time, five o'clock, Twilight Show. And just have you got any plans for your final week, whatever you're doing with your classes um, and whatever you've got planned for the end of the week when we finally get there, if you're planning any um, staff parties, trips off, um, nights out, anything like that. I hope you have an absolutely fantastic time and it'll be great to hear about it when we are finished for the, the, the holidays next weekend. Um, the only thing we haven't mentioned is um, hashtag teacher, teacher tips, which I'm going to be posting about on Twitter after this. I think I've been writing down loads. I've got absolutely, um, you know, I've got a, a wealth of, of tips that came out of that interview with Andy earlier. So I'll post a few of those on Twitter and, and anyone who hasn't been able to listen in live um, or who maybe wants to catch up um, on the podcast when it's uploaded, then hopefully that will help you uh, on your, to, to, to think about how, how uh, your term is your last, sorry, getting my words all mixed up here. Yeah, so any, uh, the teacher tips will hopefully um, resonate with you and, and hopefully if that helps you, anything that's come out of the interview this evening, really hope it helps for you to go forward on your journey as a new teacher. And please carry on listening. It's been great to have your support. Thank you to everyone who's texted in this evening and, and for the caller as well. Thank you very much. And I hope you have a great week. It's nearly there. Only four or five more days to go for you. Thank you very much for listening. And we hope you have a enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And I will see you next week. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.